States. It's the day before the day before. That's what I like to call it because that weekend is in view. Welcome to Fox News Black Report for Thursday, December 15th. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Lee Cordelai Corte. We are honored to stand behind this desk each and every day to take you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views and our voice. A disturbing top story for today as police in Fresno, California are investigating after officers found the burning body of a black woman who was eight months pregnant. They found her in an alley. Now the Fresno Police Department identified the woman as 26 year old in Kaya Logan. Police say a maintenance worker at a nearby apartment complex used a fire extinguisher, but Logan had already died. The police chief says Logan's brother, 41 year old Aaron Dudley, is the primary suspect after police found evidence that ties him to the murder inside his home. Logan recently had a baby shower for her unborn child. Deadly tornadoes tore through the southeast, killing at least three people and injuring many others. Severe thunderstorms spawning at least 50 confirmed tornadoes in the southern United States this week. The path of destruction stretching from central Oklahoma to the Florida Panhandle in northwest Louisiana. A mother and young boy were killed when their home was destroyed. A confirmed tornado also struck in New Orleans. The youngest victim of this week's storm was an eight-year-old boy. And to Virginia Beach now, where that city will pay $3 million to settle a lawsuit from the family of a black man who was shot by police during a chaotic night of violence on the city's oceanfront. This happened last year. The city and the family of Donovan Lynch, a cousin of musician uh, and Virginia Beach native Pharrell Williams, announced the agreement this week. Wayne Lynch, Donovan's father, filed a $50 million wrongful death lawsuit in June of 2021 against the city and police officer Solomon D. Simmons, who is also black. Now, the settlement comes more than a month after Williams announced that his music festival would return to Virginia Beach. When the festival pulled out of Virginia Beach in 2021, the Grammy-winning musician had said, quote, toxic energy had run the city for too long and that he wished it had taken a more proactive stance after police shot Lynch. Last month, Williams said demand for the festival in Virginia Beach has never wavered. If anything, it has only intensified. And that's a quote yet again from uh, Pharrell. So it's good to see, I don't know, can you, can you call it justice? Because you know, you, there's no dollar amount that can be put on uh, someone's life. I'm sure this family is still reeling over that loss, especially after, as you enter into the holiday season, mm -hmm. no matter when you've lost someone, it's those feelings and those emotions that come back at special times uh, of the year uh, like this. Um, but maybe, you know, the money at least is some kind of admission of wrongdoing and a, and a way to make good uh, on the loss of life, if you will. And you can't call it justice, but you certainly can call it accountability. There and, you, you know, big ups to Pharrell, you know, for you know, using his power and agency to influence the city of Virginia Beach to do the right thing. Uh, you know, he, you know, was the one that was out there saying, hey, we're not going to do the Something in the Water Festival mm -hmm. in uh, Virginia Beach until you all acknowledge uh, this error mm -hmm. uh, and atone for it in some way, shape or form. And mm -hmm. so this is what they've come up with. I'm not surprised mm -hmm. that he's going back to Virginia Beach. I know I have a lot of family in Norfolk, Virginia Beach that mm -hmm. uh, are excited that that concert is coming back. Mm -hmm. um, but, but more importantly, that the concert is coming back for the right reasons. And so it's good to know that uh, the Virginia Beach 
police department is being held accountable and that the city, you know, uh, has settled this case. But more importantly, I hope that uh, uh, the police department uh, begins to operate differently yeah. because that's really what this is about. It's not about you know a concert coming back to Virginia Beach or not. It's about how do we get law enforcement to be accountable to all of us and not just some of us. In hopes that when this festival does come back that something like this does not happen again. So hopefully lessons have been learned. That's right. That's right. Well, an arrest at Winston-Salem State University was caught on camera. The university says a student was arrested following a disagreement with a professor. According to the school, a staff member who was not involved in the arrest made a call to police. The university released a statement saying in part that they are aware of the situation that took place in a classroom and that the incident is under investigation. It's still unclear why the student was arrested. A police report says the student has been charged with disorderly conduct. All right, let's go to Grand Rapids. It's the second largest city here in Michigan as Michigan's civil rights watchdog is bringing two charges of discrimination against the city, city's police department, furthering the scrutiny of the department following a black motorist being killed by police. Now, the charges came in response to complaints filed with the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. The complaints filed on behalf of two 11-year-old black boys alleged that police responding to a 911 call stopped the pair and a 17-year-old boy and held them at gunpoint. They were also handcuffed and searched. Now, the officers were responding to a call about children walking near train tracks with a toy gun. Johnson also emphasized that the children were stopped half a mile away from the initial location within minutes of the 911 call. He said police detained the boys despite the children sharing their ages and contact information for parent and complying with officers' commands. The Justice Department is announcing a landmark civil rights settlement with the city of Hesperia, California, and its sheriff's department over allegations that they illegally discriminated against black and Latino renters. Under the terms of the settlement, which requires final sign-off from a federal judge, the city and sheriff's department must pay nearly $1 million and fully repeal a crime-free housing ordinance that mandates that landlords uh, evict those who police say had been involved in criminal activity, even if the offense was minor or if it didn't result in any formal charges, an arrest or conviction. An analysis by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development found that under such programs, black renters are almost four times more likely to be evicted, and Latino renters are 29% more likely to be evicted than white renters. The House makes uh, is making moves in the right direction as this week they signed a bill that would remove a problematic display at the U.S. Capitol. A statue of Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger Taney, who wrote the 1857 Dred Scott decision, which defended slavery and denied the citizenship of black Americans. Now, the legislation which the House passed by vote, voice vote declares that Taney's authorship of the decision renders a bust of his likeness unsuitable for the honor of display to the many visitors to the Capitol. That's a quote there. Now, the bill states that while the removal of Chief Justice Roger Brooke Taney's bust from the Capitol does not relieve the Congress of the historical wrongs it committed to protect the institution of slavery, it expresses Congress's recognition of one of the most notorious wrongs to have ever taken place in one of its 19 rooms.
The city of Boston will now have a task force for reparations. This comes after the city council voted this week to form that task force to study how it can provide reparations for and other forms of atonement to black Bostonians for the city's role in slavery and its legacy of inequality. The goal for this task force is to define, not limit, the amount or severity of the harm that we are able to find documented within uh, both the time of chattel slavery, but also in the aftermath of that chattel slavery and policies directly created and run by this city uh, that have impacted people of color, specifically African-American black people, on the basis of uh, the after effects and after impacts of the racial caste system that was created in this country. The unanimous vote means Boston now joins a conversation about reparations that's happening across the country, from Providence, Rhode Island, to my home city, California. Okay, let's go to Oregon now, where Governor Kate Brown says she will be commuting the sentences of all of the state's 17 inmates awaiting execution, saying their death sentences will be changed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Brown, a Democrat with less than a month remaining in office, said she was using her executive clemency powers to commute the sentences. Oregon has not executed a prisoner since 1997. In Brown's first news conference after becoming governor back in 2015, she announced she would continue the death penalty moratorium imposed by her predecessor. Now, so far, 17 people have been executed in the U.S. in 2022, all by lethal injection, and all in Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona, Missouri, Alabama, and Alabama. That's according to the Death Penalty Information Center. Psychology experts say that although Brittany Griner is back on U.S. soil and is in good spirits and health, she'll face some serious challenges eventually. Elizabeth Jeglick, a professor of psychology at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York, says that Griner may face nutritional issues, for one, and that's due to the Russian criminal systems not having food deemed as nutritious. Griner spent nearly a month in a Russian penal colony described as, quote, notoriously harsh conditions with reports of starvation and beatings. It's unclear how Griner was treated, but there are reports she could not do some of the work in the penal colony because of her six foot nine inch height. Mm, our thoughts are with her as she continues her recovery. A uh, terrible accident to uh, tell you about on the, on the tarmac that leaves an airline employee with a number of broken bones, a fractured skull, and a long recovery ahead. It was uh, caught on video. We want to warn you that this uh, might be a little difficult to watch. Video from the Delta Airlines tarmac shows a ramp agent guiding a plane to its gate when a lavatory service truck strikes her from behind, violently throwing her to the ground. The driver and another employee race back to help. Atlanta police responded to the scene. An incident report says the driver told investigators he was not paying attention and was looking down at his tablet before the crash. The woman was rushed to Grady Memorial Hospital. Delta Airlines issued a statement about the incident saying it is investigating and, quote, nothing is more important than the safety of our people and our customers. A GoFundMe page run by the victim's family says she has a number of broken bones in her face, a fractured skull, and a serious concussion. She's had trouble remembering what's happened since the accident and trouble finding her words. She has a long recovery ahead. 
Now, according to her mother, she suffered several broken, broken bones in her face, a fractured skull and a concussion. And by the grace of God, she is still here, able to fight uh, through those injuries. And we definitely uh, wish her the best. But, um, you know, we had to, you know, even, even though we had the warning, that's still pretty uh, tough to watch, even though we kind of paused it before impact. But my goodness. Very tough to watch. And, and just and another reminder of like texting while driving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that implies, that, that applies, you know, everywhere, mm -hmm. not just, you know, on, you know, public roads and freeways and things, mm -hmm. but, you know, even for folks that work, you know, at airports and, you know, transit, uh, you know, systems. transit systems mm -hmm. and private plants and sure. all that, right? Uh, I mean, you know, it is a miracle. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle it really is. That, that she's alive today. Um, and uh, really, um, you know, my heart goes out to, to her family because, you know, it's it's got to be really hard to watch your loved one. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. one thing to hear, oh, your loved one was involved in an accident. It's yeah. another thing to see that kind of video yeah. that's out there. and. Especially and as, it, as, as it has a tendency uh, most times to go viral and, and people yeah. continuing to watch it. And sometimes we become a bit insensitive to the fact that that is someone, someone real, someone with, with family members, someone who is, is suffering. And uh, it kind of just adds insult to injury, if you will. Yep, that's somebody's daughter, sister, loved one. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, our prayers are with her and her family as she continues to fight for her life. Indeed. Still ahead, moving Milwaukee forward. What two community members are doing to make safer, make uh, Milwaukee safer for black residents. We'll have that story and more coming up right here on Fox Souls Black Report. Stay close. All right, soulmates, the Biden administration is restarting its program to send free COVID-19 testing kits through the United States mail to any household that requests them. Yeah, this week the White House said households can begin ordering a total of four at-home tests from the covidtest.gov website to be mailed directly to them for free, regardless of how many tests uh, you've ordered previously. Now the test will start to ship out the week of December 19th. Aside from mail order tests, the winter plan will include distributing tests and masks at more locations, the White House said. Now nursing homes and long-term care facilities will also see additional resources and flexibilities to help boost lagging vaccination rates, including allowing nursing home staff to administer shots. The triple threat of COVID-19, the flu, and RSV is prompting a return to masking for parts of the United States. Fox News' Garrett Tenney has the story. Is the wave or the triple pandemic? The triple demic doctors warned about is now straining hospitals across the country. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, about 75% of beds in the U.S. are full. RSV and flu are responsible for most of those, but facilities are bracing for more COVID infections in the coming weeks as well. Our pediatric hospitals have been really quite overrun um, with RSV respiratory illness, and now we are colliding uh, with flu. Uh, which is starting to pick up, and we've already sort of been budding up uh, with COVID-19. The spike in respiratory viruses has been driven in large part by children. As of last month, pediatric bed capacity was around 90% in multiple states. Hospitals are now scrambling to get their hands on more equipment to handle the surge. 
as soon as we can capture them, we bring them in. But demand is very high, and typically a lot of that equipment is already sold before it even hits our door. Doctors say vaccinations remain the best way to protect against COVID and the flu. On Thursday, Moderna and Pfizer received an FDA emergency use authorization for their Omicron targeting COVID boosters for children as young as six months old. While there's currently no RSV vaccine, health experts say mask wearing can slow all three circulating viruses. Make sure you're using those higher quality uh, medical grade masks. So, you know, don't rely on cloth or homemade masks because it does make a difference. And an important health care deadline that you need to know about as the last day to sign up for Obamacare is today. For the first time, enrollees coverage will kick in on January 1st. For those renewing coverage, it will be effective immediately. The health care law came into effect in 2014 and requires enrollment for coverage to start on January 1st. Those already with Obamacare will have it automatically renewed. And for those who enroll after the deadline, coverage will not start until February 1st, leaving them uninsured for the month of January. And home sharing services like Airbnb market themselves as platforms for sharing community and joy. But some black guests say that despite the policies and partnerships put in place, they still face discrimination when booking uh, for or staying in vacation rentals. In a report released this week, Airbnb acknowledged the issues and provided the first public data on the steps it's taken to reduce racial disparities, including removing some human factors from the booking process. To close the disparity in customer experience, Airbnb is considering enabling even more people to use instant booking and beefing up its ability to audit reservation rejections. Past research has shown that guests whom hosts perceived to be black are more likely to have their booking requests rejected than are those perceived as white. Black home insurance policyholders have brought a federal class action against State Farm this week, alleging the multi-billion dollar company subjects their claims to greater scrutiny than it does those of white clients, an alleged violation of the 1968 Fair Housing Act. Now, it further alleges using data drawn from 800 white and black homeowners across the Midwest that black customers were 39% more likely than white customers to be asked to submit additional paperwork after filing a claim and 20% more likely to need more than three meetings with State Farm employees in order to settle one. The additional hurdles black customers have to clear in turn causes them to wait longer for necessary home repairs. And I can see this being uh, factual. I won't mis mention um, the company, but this was a while ago. Um, had a car stolen. Um, I had just purchased it. Mm -hmm. So there was a question of my integrity, because especially being in Detroit where there's always been an issue with stolen cars. They thought some kind of way that I set that thing up to, to get the insurance company. And I had to actually drive to their headquarters that happened to be in Lansing, Michigan. And I knocked on the door and they were really shocked and surprised to see me, but I felt like that was the only way that I could move my case forward, let them see that as a hardworking, just out of college uh, student who, who put down my hard-earned hard money on a down payment, I had nothing to do with this car, and let's see what we need to do to solve this situation, because I pay y'all mm -hmm. every month 
for coverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, one of the things I really appreciate about both of these stories, the State Farm story and the mm -hmm. Airbnb story, mm -hmm. is they underscore something that I say pretty often. No, I, no data, no justice. No data, no justice. And, you know, what is clear in both of these stories mm -hmm. is if folks didn't have the data. That's right. To demonstrate that there is a disparity uh, in terms of the treatment of black folks compared to white folks, mm -hmm. then a lot of folks would just, it would, it would have fallen on deaf, deaf ears. That's and right. a lot of folks would say, you know, oh, you're just making it up. Um, and we hear that so often when it comes to allegations of racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of folks that think, that well, maybe it's in your head, or mm -hmm. maybe you know it's it's a personal thing. They don't think about it as systemic, and uh, both of these stories really demonstrate how systemic racial bias can be. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that with that Airbnb, Airbnb is looking at you know how essentially they're enabling. Uh, you know their their customers to discriminate against uh, against black folks and other people of color is a huge admission, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know the fact that you know you have State Farm that's that has, you know, made it more difficult, you know, according to the data for black folks to apply for uh, the the uh, claims the claims that, that that they are entitled to mm -hmm. compared to to white folks yeah. you know that is a big deal right mm -hmm. and so I think we're going to continue to see more of this and I think for you know leaders in the private sector that you know are really about this life they're going to get ahead of this yeah. you know and not wait till you have a class action lawsuit but you should be looking at your systems uh, to check for accountability right now and, and any demonstration of racial bias. And also as a customer, keep going until you get the answer or the results that you seek. Uh, you know, my mama used to always say, don't let anybody tell you no who can't even give you a yes. I kept pushing, even when I had a break-in in my DC days, the questions that they were asking me, like I don't have receipts from five, six, seven years ago. What is the alternative? And mm -hmm. I pushed and, and you know, fortunately I was able to recoup uh, a lot of that money and, and as far as the value of, of what was stolen out of my out of my place, but you sometimes you just have to push and just continue to ask those questions until you get the results that you feel you deserve or you pay for as a customer. That's right. Yeah. All right, we're going to move along here as Milwaukee police officers face danger on a daily basis and natives feel the rise in crime. One reporter goes on a ride along with a black sergeant and captures his day on camera. Fox's Amelia Jones has this story. It's late October in Milwaukee. We leave with Sergeant Christopher Jackson for his shift at MPD District 7 on Fond du Lac Avenue. So where are we going right now? Uh, right now we're just driving around, listening to different calls, kind of patrolling the district. The night begins quietly, but it doesn't last long. The call is for a reckless driver. We pull up to find a wrecked Kia. The driver and passengers are nowhere to be found. A typical night where everything can change in an instant. Seven nine in Lisbon in the alley. 10-4. We show up to see officers investigating a car. Sergeant Jackson says it started as a traffic stop for the window tint and ends with the driver arrested. Then suddenly. We definitely feel the increase in crime. The stats back it up. 190 people died by homicide in 2020, 193 in 2021. And Milwaukee is on pace to set a new record of homicides for the third year. More than 
200 people have died by homicide so far this year. These aren't just numbers to Sergeant Jackson. Back in the squad car, we pass by Sergeant Jackson's old bus stop and candy store. We learn he grew up in the Sherman Park area. My father was actually a cop. Following in his father's footsteps, Jackson chose to raise his family in the city he serves. But that puts him in the minority. 42% of MPD officers are Milwaukee residents. The other 58% live outside the city, which is something that changed in 2016 when the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled Milwaukee could no longer enforce its residency requirement. Sitting around and hearing gunshots, uh, it's not normal. This shouldn't be normal. How do we fix it, I guess, is the often asked question. Jackson has one answer. As a kid, you ran after a police car like, hey, you got baseball cards? You know, <laughs> you had that fun interaction with police officers. Right now, the interaction looks more like this. Sergeant Jackson turns on his lights as we drive toward an SUV that hit a tree. The driver has their foot on the gas and exhaust is filling the air. Yeah, let me back up just in case this thing goes in the first so you don't get hit. Do you want us to stay in the car? Yeah, stay in the car for a minute. The crash woke up neighbors. Put the car apart! Put the car apart! We watch as Sergeant Jackson pulls a young boy from the car. Where you at? Out the car. Get out of the car. The boy is physically okay, but even at five years old, he knows the sad reality of what happens next. I'll try not to, okay? After more than an hour, we're back at MPD District 7. Sergeant Jackson, make sure we're okay. You guys are all safe and everything, right? Oh, yeah, 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 we're totally fine. Okay. It's taxing work, physically and mentally. But he's not the only one working for a brighter tomorrow. Milwaukee pastor Micaiah Young works to make change by using his voice. We demonstrating behaviors. We know the behavior ain't right, but we can't turn it off because we don't know how it started. Members of Young's congregation see the effects of that increase in crime every day. Young says Milwaukee needs to acknowledge that much of what we see is systemic. He adds many are traumatized by poverty, lack of education, and violence. I know what it is to come from a broken uh, family, and I know what it is to have come from uh, poverty, if you will. Uh, but what helped me was the positive reinforcement that I got from the community at large. Young urges people to start that process under your own roof. Invest in your home. Spend time with your children. The thing that they are looking for the most is love and acceptance. All of us matter, and today our feet are on the ground. Two things hard to find, since Young says many have to overcome labels put on them by those in power. They've lumped them into a category and have made them inhumane. But these are individuals who have stories, who have experiences, who have potential, but they're limited to their experience. But as long as Milwaukee is neglected, as long as our youth are neglected, there's going to be an infection in the entire state. The infection feeding into the challenge to overcome distrust for police officers. I think sometimes when people have an image of a police officer, it could be just that anger, 
upset person. I'm ready to do do something. Hey, I'm I'm your neighbor. I'm I'm somebody here. Hey, the reason why I'm here is to try to make the situation better. Moving Milwaukee okay. forward to better days yeah, you did that. is why Sergeant Jackson puts on the badge. He got you, okay? he got you. He gonna take care of you. Your mama gonna be okay, okay? Yeah, for sure. Don't cry. Your mama gonna be okay. It's sad seeing some of the, some of the crime for sure because you hope your area is taken care of. There you go. And sometimes it could be better taken care of Negative. by the individuals that are there and I'm there and I'm trying to do my part. Everybody just has to try to do their part and try to make our community safer, make it better, make it a better place. Is this the Milwaukee that you grew up with? This is not. I believe this is a different Milwaukee. It's a little bit more reckless than years past and the recklessness needs to stop. In Milwaukee, alongside photojournalist Sean Chen, Again, Amelia Jones, Fox 6 News. Amazing work there, Amelia. Thank you so very much. Salute to those officers and community leaders working towards change. New today, a new bill to fund police de-escalation training is now on its way to the president's desk. Congress passing the bipartisan legislation to allow law enforcement agencies across the country to adopt de-escalation training when encountering individuals with mental health issues. The bill is part of an ongoing effort to reduce the number of officer-involved fatalities. This is a huge uh, win for the community. Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen uh, and reported on so many stories of officer-involved shootings where somebody who has a mental health disturbance mm -hmm. is involved. Um, and, you know, oftentimes we hear from law enforcement that they haven't got the sufficient training um, uh, in order to handle those sorts of incidents uh, properly. And so um, the federal government is saying, here's some resources right. for you to get that training. And so along with that training, you know, has to come accountability. And so this is definitely a step forward. This is something that a lot of uh, organizers across the country have been pushing for and mm -hmm. fighting for. And uh, so this is a, a nice victory uh, right before the end of the year. Yeah, and, and we've had this, this conversation before. Um, you know, for me, is it is it a matter of defunding or reimagining mm -hmm. uh, police uh, training? I just had an incident where we heard like seven gunshots in, in my neighborhood and uh, called the 911 um, uh, operator. She was very kind and pleasant understanding, assured me that other neighbors had called. We had police presence in that neighborhood within uh, five minutes. And, and that is something that I want to be able to continue to do and rely on. I mean, the inclination is to run from danger. We're asking these officers to come to the danger along with firefighters and other first responders. So I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's reimagining, rethinking how we go about training our police officers with what these officers are now faced with as the young man from the, the officer from Milwaukee had, uh, had alluded to. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up, more on the mental health efforts in New York City. That's right. The newest program to help those in need and how it's doing so far. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be back in a moment.
Hey there, so Mace. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you're just joining us, let's recap some of our top stories. We start in Fresno, California, as police are investigating after officers found a burning body of a black woman who was eight months pregnant. They found her in an alley. Now, the Fresno Police Department identified the woman as 26-year-old Nakia Logan. Police say a maintenance worker at a nearby apartment complex used a fire extinguisher, uh, but Logan had already died. The police chief says Logan's brother, 41-year-old Aaron Dudley, is the primary suspect after police found evidence that ties him to the murder inside of his home. Logan recently had a baby shower for her unborn child. And deadly tornadoes tore through the southeast, killing at least three people and injuring many others. Severe thunderstorms spawning at least 50 confirmed tornadoes in the southern U.S. this week. The path of destruction stretching from central Oklahoma to the Florida panhandle in northwest Louisiana. A mother and young boy were killed when their home was destroyed. A confirmed tornado also struck in New Orleans. The youngest victim of this week's storm was an eight-year-old boy. And Oregon Governor Kate Brown says she will be commuting the sentences of all of the state's 17 inmates awaiting execution, saying their death sentences will be changed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Brown, who is a Democrat with less than a month remaining in office, said she was using her executive clemency powers to commute the sentences. Oregon has not executed a prisoner since 1997. So far, 17 people have been executed in the U.S. in 2022, all by lethal injection, all in uh, Texas and Oklahoma, Arizona, Missouri and Alabama. That's according to the Death Penalty Information Center. And lastly, it's an important day today important health care deadline you need to know about as today is the last day to sign up for Obamacare for first time enrollees coverage will kick kick in on uh, January 1st and for those renewing coverage it will be effective immediately now the health care law came into effect back in 2014 and requires enrollment for coverage to start on January 1st those already with Obamacare will have it automatically renewed for those who enroll after the deadline coverage will not start start until February 1st. That's going to leave you for about a month of being uninsured. Nicordelai, back to you. Thank you, Courtney. Now we head out west where efforts are underway to save a historically black Albuquerque neighborhood. The push to designate the neighborhood in the Northeast Heights as historic is to save it from any further demolition. It was the first subdivision in the city built by black people for black people. Hello. The original developer, Virginia Ballou, adoptive daughter of Henry Outley, who originally platted the land on behalf of the Fraternal Aid Society in 1938, put in 22 houses to create the neighborhood. They were largely African-American owned and more were added throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s. Wednesday, the application was submitted to make the neighborhood a historic protection overlay zone and will go before the Landmarks Commission. And hopefully that vote will come through. It should be. Under a new directive, New York City's first responders will transport people struggling with severe mental illness to a hospital for evaluation without their consent if needed. This marks a major shift in how the city approaches mental health. 
The city's initiative to remove homeless New Yorkers with mental health issues from the streets and subway system and bring them to hospitals for treatment remains on track. A federal judge in Manhattan refused to grant a legal challenge to the plan. A man suffering from mental illness who has been repeatedly hospitalized against his will brought that challenge. Mayor Eric Adams argues the city has a moral obligation to help those in need, even if it's involuntarily. Manhattan District Attorney Al Alvin Bragg yesterday announced a new voluntary $9 million initiative to connect New Yorkers with treatment for mental health and substance abuse issues. Up to $6 million will be spent on so-called neighborhood navigators who will help the homeless in Manhattan get the help they need. Up to $3 million will be spent on court-based navigators to help people in the criminal justice system upon their arraignment. By addressing these human needs, uh, we address uh, the broader needs of public safety uh, in our community. Dealing with homeless and mentally ill New Yorkers remains a challenge. Numbers the Daily News obtained through a Freedom of Information Law request show that from February to August, before the mayor announced his involuntary program, only 30% of the nearly 2,300 homeless people removed from the subway system and placed in shelters stayed longer than a week. Sia Weaver with Housing Justice says the city must come up with with a more permanent remedy. Our shelters are not safe. They are not places where people want to live. And we know that the solution to homelessness is, is housing. It's, it's rental assistance. The city's Department of Social Services says that of the 3,000 homeless people the Adams administration has moved into shelters, only 1,000 are still there as of this week. The mayor said the city has connected more than 3,000 people experiencing homelessness to shelters or safe haven. And I know, Nick Quarterly, this, uh, this touched uh, deep for you um, with this particular uh, case here. I, I don't, for me, the questions are, is it crime and safety or is it more cosmetic and, and, and tourism? Um, I think the piece that gets me is, is involuntary. Um, that's pretty tough for me. Um, but yet again, we've heard plenty of reports where uh, homeless or those who were uh, believed to be homeless attacking, you know, random attacks. So it's really a, a, a catch 22. But then it takes so much uh, to put these people back on their feet, if you will. Are you do you really understand what the, the big undertaking that is? And, and, it, and it's follow up and follow through. It's just not a yeah. wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of a kind of a situation here. Well, this is one of the major questions of our time. There are so many major cities across the country that are uh, really trying to figure it out when it comes to housing the unhoused or uh, really caring for people that may otherwise be known as homeless. Um, you know, I think the involuntary part is a rub for people. Mm -hmm. um, and not just that, but it's one thing to get somebody into temporary housing. Uh, the key is permanent housing, right. and there's been research that's been done, um, research that's fairly recent, uh, that says that permanent housing is key. And so if, if you want to create the kind of stability that's going to help people suffering from mental illness uh, uh, to, be, to regain a footing, housing is a key component of that, that pathway uh, you know, towards a, a life of, of stability and in some cases sobriety. Uh, and so I think for a lot of people that have been uh, addressing issues related to poverty, issues related to um, mental health, 
uh, for a long time, you know, the mayor's proposal falls short. And let me just also add, you know, do we really want police officers, we really want to put them in the position, you know, where they are involuntarily mm -hmm. uh, snatching people off the streets, you know, and, put, and institutionalizing them. There's got to be more thought and rigor that's put into this. I agree. And there are so many people, um, housing advocates, advocates for the unhoused, that feel like this isn't fully baked. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we'll continue to watch not just what Mayor Adams is doing, but what mayors across the country are doing. Right now, I think so many mayors are getting creative about mm -hmm. how do we fundamentally address the issue of chronic homelessness uh, in our communities. Fully baked, I like that language. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, and, and by the way, let me just also add, when mm -hmm. we think about the unhoused and homeless people, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these folks are black folks. This is true. Right, so homelessness is not an issue that exists outside of the black community, and so I think that's an important thing to note. Duly noted. All right, now this girl should be ashamed of herself. A Georgia woman is in deep trouble after allegedly scamming grieving families at a funeral home in Jonesboro. Police say that 34-year-old Danielle Longino, also known as Danielle Watkins, cheated several families out of $80,000 by contacting several victims after they suffered a death in the family and scammed them out of money for caskets and funeral services. Longino is a former employee at the Anthony L. Watkins Funeral Home and was able to cheat the families by pretending she still worked there. Langino turned herself in last week after her picture was blasted across social media and sent out to the press stating that she was a person of interest in the scam. The chief of police uh, over in Jonesboro said that uh, he'd never seen a scam like this one uh, who she, which, which, which is what she's accused of committing during his entire career. Mm, 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 yeah, mm, mm. not good. Really not good. Yikes. Now uh, off to Mississippi where T.C. Taylor has been announced as Jackson State's new head of football. Yeah, that's the new football coach replacing Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Primetime, <laughs> after his surprise departure. Now Taylor has deep roots with the JSU Tigers. He played quarterback and wide receiver with the team from 1998 to 2001, setting the single season team record with 84 receptions as a senior. Now Sanders announced on December 3rd that he was leaving JSU before the completion of his head coaching contract to take the head coach job at the University of Colorado, a move that will cost him about $300,000 to buy out his contract. All right, well, congratulations on that young man. The WNBA beats out men's sports for diversity and inclusion. The Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports announced Wednesday that the WNBA received an A for its overall racial and gender practice for 2022. That includes an A-plus for racial hiring and an A for gender hiring. That's according to the annual report. The WNBA earned an A-plus racial score in the following categories. Players, head coaches, assistant coaches, WNBA league office, and professional team staff. That's also according to the report. Now, the lowest grade for racial hiring practices was for team presidents, where it received a C. The institution also evaluates the racial and gender hiring practices
offices of four men's professional leagues, including the NFL, NBA, the MLB, and Major League Soccer, along with the NBA, uh, WNBA. The only men's league close in comparison to the WNBA was the NBA, which earned an A this year for racial hiring practices. I'd like to see what the numbers look like for the NFL. Hello. Hello. They didn't talk too much about those. They, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, I really think that the WNBA could have a whole nother stream of income mm -hmm. uh, taking what they've learned mm -hmm. and developing a training for the NFL because, mm. you know, when I look at you know, them getting in high marks for players, for head coaches, yep. for assistant coaches, you know, you know the, the folks that that uh, are deep, 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 deep behind the scenes mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of really helping our favorite teams to soar, mm -hmm. right? Um, this would make a big, big, big difference in the NFL. This is uh, a part of why Coach Flores mm -hmm. um, has called out the NFL and has filed suit against the NFL because uh, he believes the NFL um, does not get high marks when it comes to these things or let alone creating an opportunity uh, for folks to, to well, get leave into it to, these Leave positions. it to the ladies to lead, as always. Yeah, but I, I'm sure those NFL numbers stink. And, and the only area in which it was a little iffy from the end of, uh, uh, I was going to say NWA, <laughs> WNBA, uh, was the front, front high offices. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we need a little bit more color. More, up, up, up more presidents. That's more right. presidents. That's right. Yep. Well, RG3 has a major slip up on national TV, and the internet jumped right on Ooh, it. Oh, did they ever? This story and more entertainment headlines after the break. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, soulmates, families, we're walking in a winter wonderland this weekend with the Currys. <laughs> NBA star Steph Curry and his wife Aisha Curry hosted their 10th annual Christmas with the Curry celebration where they provided 2,000 attendees with a day full of activities like ice skating, food trucks, decorating, sugar cookies, sledding, and snowball fights. The guests even got a chance to meet Mr. and Mrs. Claus. The Currys shared that the celebration reminded them of how big an impact the gift of giving can make in one family's life. Always good to see. Oh, it. yeah. Uh, keeping with the NBA, the NBA is giving new names to the awards given to players to honor NBA pioneers. Leading the way, the Michael Jordan trophy will be given to the NBA's most valuable player. The trophy is uh, 23.6 inches in height. It weighs uh, almost 25 pounds and wow. has a 23 point, um, uh, you know, a crystal ball, you know, sort of facade. Um, <laughs> a five-sided base, a nod to his five league MVPs and a six-sided nameplate representing his six championships. Wow. Do you see the symbolism there? Mm -hmm. Do you see it, mm -hmm. soulmates? paying homage not only to his record, but his iconic 23 jersey number. That's very nice. All right, let's go to football, where analyst Robert Griffin III, RG3, used a racist slur in his defense of Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts on air as fans quickly harped on the mistake and shared the blunder online. People said that Jalen Hurts couldn't get it done. He couldn't operate from the pocket. He's not the quarterback of the future. I think he proved all those jigaboos wrong. Oh, 
the derogatory term for black people has been around for ages and Griffin's casual inclusion of it on the pregame show for Monday Night Football was a shocker. Griffin later tweeted that he meant to say those bugaboos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Gunna wakes up this morning a free man. The rapper, whose real name is Sergio Kitchens, was released yesterday from the Fulton County Jail. This came after Gunna accepted a plea deal in the racketeering case against him and other alleged members of the Young Slim Life. Joe Kitchens, also known as Gunna, walks free from the Fulton County Jail. The rapper entered a so-called Alford plea on one count in the racketeering case against him and other alleged members of the Young Slime Life, which prosecutors accuse of being a criminal street gang. The plea allows Gunna to maintain his innocence while admitting the evidence likely would have led to a guilty verdict. Where a criminal defendant is ultimately saying I don't agree with the facts as they're alleged. I maintain that I'm innocent. However, I believe that it's in my best interest to go ahead, plead guilty. Gunna and fellow rapper Young Thug, whose real name is Jeffrey Williams, are among 28 alleged YSL members charged. Prosecutors say the group was responsible for murder and other violent acts over the years. Gunna released a statement saying he has not been interviewed, isn't cooperating, and hasn't agreed to testify in the case. The judge sentenced Gunna to five years, one behind bars. That was then reduced to time served. He'll have to perform 500 hours of community service, 350 of which will be talking to young people about the dangers of being in a gang. While the state may consider this a victory on some level, I think that you're going to see uh, mixed reaction from his fans. The plea deal sentenced him to five years with one year to serve in prison. That time was commuted to time served and the balance was suspended. Comedy legend Eddie Murphy will be taking home a trophy next month. He's set to receive the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement. Murphy is a six-time Golden Globe nominee for movies like 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, which they're filming now. Uh, he also won in 2007 for Dream Girls. The Cecil B. DeMille Award was given out this year since the Globes uh, ceremony was canceled. The live ceremony is back next year on January 10th. Coming up, we've got more of Black Souls, uh, Black Fox Souls, Black Report. That's it. That's right. That That's team. right. That's right. More Black Excellence coming up next. <laughs> Soulmate, Sweetie is aiming to inspire and educate the next generation through a financial literacy course as a part of her Icy Baby Foundation. Very nice. The rapper launched an official initiative to empower kids and teenagers with skills they need to follow their dreams. Youth between uh, 7 and 17 will be eligible to participate in the six-week program where they'll receive a funded debit card, educational resources, and information about saving, budgeting, and financial planning. Now, the program officially launches in January of 2023. Sweetie says the long-term goal for the Icy 
Baby Foundation is to increase financial literacy amongst kids and prepare them to brighter futures. Talk about black excellence. Right? Come on, girlfriend. We love to we see love it. This. We love to see it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's so important that we are giving back and, and, and giving back in ways that make a material difference in the lives of young people, I'm sure those kids will never forget it. Yeah, because if I could go back and, and redo, my first mess up was that first credit card in college where you just really don't understand uh -huh. how it affects and you just, if you don't do right by, it will follow you for forever. I think yeah. I just paid it off the other day. Yeah. So programs like this are so essential. So big ups to Sweetie. I think you're right, I think yeah. you're right. Well, that's all we have for today's show. It's mm -hmm. been, uh, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. From coast to coast. That's it. And around the world. That's what we do. That's what we do right here on Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm the Cordelai Cortez. I'm Courtney Hicks. You sure are. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Till next time. Stay lifted. Yeah, man. Stay lifted. <laughs>